right. That was awesome. That was awesome. Good morning, everybody. Hey, we have a lot of people to uh, thank for today. Our technical team that is here that had so much to do and is responsible for these big screens on the side and so many things that are going on. They've done awesome. Uh, for everybody who was out in the parking lot, it helped and shuttled today. Thank you so much. That was uh, really great. We appreciate all the help. I just think you all deserve a big round of applause for making that to happen. Well, the concern was, is would you actually pay attention this morning with all this behind me? And that is a big concern. So I thought we would start a series today on heaven that maybe heaven would be intriguing enough that we might be able to pay attention. So I'm going to ask you to do something in just a second. And it's, uh, it's a little weird. I don't like, I don't like to do it myself. And so I want to just let you know right up front, I commiserate with those of you who are not going to feel like doing this, because I'm going to ask you in a second to close your eyes, because the only way you're going to see something is if you close your eyes. And I come from a long line of people who feel uncomfortable with doing that, particularly in public settings. I have a cousin that was in a birthing class for his first child, and the person teaching the class turned all the lights off, asked everybody to get down on the floor, turn out, to close their eyes, and turned on the whale music, that you know what I'm saying? And that so freaked him out, he started laughing, and the teacher actually threw him out of his birthing class. <laughs> it is a total true story, total true story. So with all that being said, I understand, but the only way you're going to see it is if you actually close your eyes. And only just, just take a second. So if you could just close your eyes real quick, I need you to see something. I want you to, I want you to see this. Think of a perfect time or a perfect place, or maybe the weather's perfect or the people that you are with are just perfect. And it's one of those moments where you say, I wish this moment could last forever. I wish this moment could last forever. Can, can you see it? Is it there? Do you have it? I wish this moment could last absolutely forever. That's what heaven is going to be like, except it will last forever. Okay, let's open our eyes. So um, on the screen, we're going to show you a, a picture of a moment like that uh, for me. I think it's come. There it is. So that's my wife, Krista. We uh, went out to Colorado this past March, and uh, we did a wedding. Oh, it was incredible. It was at a YMCA. Not like any YMCA you probably have ever seen. I've never seen a YMCA like this in my life. It was enormous, huge. It must have been 100 acres and lots of buildings. It was just such a beautiful sight. And after that, we took a couple days to spend in Colorado because Krista's never been to Colorado before. And so we went up into the mountains and we went hiking one morning. And this picture was taken maybe at 8 o'clock in the morning. It was 25 degrees. But you didn't have to wear a coat because out west it's so dry, you know what I'm saying? So we're up at like 10,000 feet there's nobody out there. It's not like a cloud in the sky. And I just said to myself, if this moment could just last forever. Now I'm in the perfect place with the perfect person, right? You know, and it's so great. Now, the thing is, is you come down off the mountain and stuff happens and you argue about how to get to the airport and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that is life. That is, that is life. But if you, if, if you think about it, what is heaven like? What, is, what we want to talk about today is what is heaven, what will it really be like? Because the Bible actually tells us a lot about heaven, but I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about what heaven is. Jesus called heaven paradise in Luke 23. This is going to be paradise. In a word, what is he saying? He's saying that heaven is going to be absolutely magnificent. It's going to be magnificent. I'd like to read to you 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So God is preparing a place 
that is absolutely magnificent. And somebody, some people read that verse and say, yeah, but we can't conceive of it. No eye, no ear, you know, just what it says there. That verse goes on and says, yeah, but the Spirit has revealed to us, right, through the Scriptures, how magnificent heaven is. And there's a lot in the Bible, particularly in the book of Revelation, which during this series we're going to get into. So much about the way we perceive our future or the world's future affects the way we feel about right here and right now. It is very important to think and to study about heaven. God wants us to do that. I want to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis. This is from Mere Christianity. If you never read Mere Christianity, I highly, highly encourage you at some point to please read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. It's a short read. It is fantastic. This is what he says. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. And then he makes this, same, this famous quote right here. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither one. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at the earth, and you'll get neither one. Here's our theme verse for this series. This series is four weeks long. It's Colossians 3.1. It says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Set your sights. So God is calling us in Scripture to think, actually, about heaven, to focus on how magnificent heaven is, and what is this place that God has prepared for us? Because what you think about your future determines the way you feel about right here, right now. Today, we're going to talk about what heaven is like. Next week, we're going to talk about hope. Heaven is our hope. And the week after that, September 1st, we're going to talk about heaven is our home. You know, so often in life, we feel like, you know what, I'm always looking for the next thing. I, I get to some place, and this is really cool, but I'm not satisfied. I'm looking for more meaning. I'm waiting for the next thing. And so we're in such a hurry looking for the next Why is it that we don't feel at peace in home? Well, heaven is our home, and it could have a lot to do with that. And finally, on September the 8th, we're going to talk about heaven is the ultimate gift. We learn so much about God, who God is, by studying heaven. We learn so much about what God is doing in our lives and in this world and in the future by studying heaven. But today, what will heaven actually be like or what is it like right now? Bishop J.C. Ryle, a 19th century bishop, said this, I pity the person who never thinks about heaven. It's important that we think about heaven. Almost every single person believes in heaven and feels that they're going there. Now, this is according to lots of studies. And I know that we talk about, particularly in the West, that we're a growing secular you know, nation and a growing secular culture that we don't believe in God. But the studies, even in the West, even in the West, are still really clear. Almost everybody believes in heaven. And, all, and just about 100% of the people who believe in heaven all believe that they're going there. And the question is, is what kind of place do you think you're going to go to? Are you excited about going to this place that we call heaven? You think about an amazing uh, vacation that you want to go on. Maybe you've studied a place and you learned about this place and then you're so excited about going to this. Don't you say to yourself when you're thinking about that amazing place, you go, I wish the plane was taking off today. 
I wish the plane was taking off today. I can't stand it. I'm going to have to wait six months to go to this awesome, magnificent place. But heaven's totally different, isn't it? I've been saying this for months. I had no idea it was a Kenny Chesney quote. I've been saying this for months. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go right now. I didn't realize he wrote and sang a song about that. I'm not going to sing it. That would be terrible. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go right now. Could, could there, and I understand that. I understand that maybe there's people, right, we don't want to leave behind. I, I, I know it's a little bit complicated, but could a piece of it be that maybe we think that heaven might be boring? Could it be just a piece that we think possibly boring? So the reason I entitled this message today, Heaven, I'd Rather Laugh with the Sinners, is that's from what? Anybody recognize that line? Billy Joel, thank you very much. Big Mac in the upper deck up there. Billy Joel, here's his line. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Because why? Because the sinners are much more fun. So is the message, be- and that's a really, I mean, people, a lot of people know that song. I know it's old, but a lot of people know that song. Because that song's sending this a strong message that, you know, okay, if the sinners are much more fun, is that implicating that... Hell is where the party is happening, and heaven is where everybody is bored out of their brains. Right? Down in hell, you're, you're, you're playing pool, and you're going to clubs, and you, I mean, you just, you just, it's such a great time, but in heaven, you're just sitting around, twiddling your thumbs, floating on clouds. Our, our, our youth pastor, middle school pastor, Ben Darius, he's been on the streets doing some street interviews, and he sent me a bunch of interviews about heaven, and there's one person, we're going to play it for you soon, not today, but in the future, and they said, yeah, I believe in heaven, we're going to be floating on the clouds. And I, that's really what a lot of us think, and is that magnificent, or is it just boring for all of eternity flow on the cross. ACDC? Anybody ACDC fans? Anybody old enough to be an ACDC fan? Highway to hell? Highway to hell? I'm going down. It's party time. So I'm going down to hell. It's party time. And what? All my friends are going to be there too. So that's where the good time is. It's not in heaven. Mark Twain didn't, probably did not think a lot about heaven because he wrote in the adventures of Huckleberry Finn as he's writing through, he's speaking the words of Huckleberry Finn. Huckleberry Finn's having a conversation with Miss Watson. And here, here's what it says. Quote, she went on and told me all about the good place. She told that all a body would have to do there was go around all day with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it. I asked her if she reckoned that Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, not by a considerable sight. (laughs) I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. Huck Finn doesn't want to go to heaven because heaven is really boring. He'd rather go to the other place that is a lot more fun. Isaac Asimov, some of you recognize the name. He's a uh, professor at Boston University and uh, wrote prolifically on science fiction and in popular mechanics, if any of you ever read that, right? He just wrote prolifically. And this is what he said. I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell. Or, check this out, fearing heaven even more. What, for whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. A lot of people think that in heaven we'll be disembodied spirits. We won't have a physical body. We'll be disembodied spirits. And it'll be just a perpetual, unending church service. Now, 
I really like church, and I really want you to like church too. But I have to tell you, if it was an unending church service, that would be really boring to me. I would not like to be in an unending church service. I would not like to be a disembodied spirit just floating around. The Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible tells us that heaven is going to be so much more than that. And we need to allow the reality to heaven just to grip and seep into our hearts because what we believe about the future determines the way we feel about right here and right now. Heaven is going to be magnificent. Now, I have a question. Where in the world do you think the idea that heaven is going to be boring came from? Where do you think that came from? Is, is it just happenstance? That a lot of our great songs and some of our literature talk about how boring heaven is and maybe how the other place is going to be so exciting. Is it just happenstance? We're told in Isaiah 14 that Satan himself was evicted from heaven. So he doesn't feel good about heaven. He was evicted, Isaiah 14. And then in the book of Revelation, which we have to get into Revelation, I just want to say this. I know some of you uh, are interested in the book of Revelation, and I know some of you are like, I don't what in the world with the book of Revelation? What is that? What's going on? A lot of people avoid the book of Revelation. I would encourage you, Richard Hayes, who was a professor at Duke Divinity School, wrote a book called A Moral Vision of the New Testament. It is excellent. A Moral Vision of the New Testament by Richard Hayes. He has one chapter on Revelation. That was the chapter that changed my entire understanding of the book of Revelation. It is absolutely fantastic. So we have to talk about the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation talks more about heaven than any other other book in the Bible except for maybe Matthew because it talks so much about the kingdom of God. And it says in Revelation 13, the central chapter in the book of Revelation, it says in Revelation 13, 6, it says Satan slanders God's dwelling place. Satan slanders heaven. So Jesus tells us that the devil comes to kill and to steal and destroy and he wants to rob from us what heaven is really like in the magnificence that God has prepared for all of us. It's not a boring place. It's not a place where you're a disembodied spirit and you're floating on the clouds forever. You're going to be bored out of your mind for all of your life and you wish that you were in the other place because that's where the real fun is. No, 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 no. God God created an awesome place that you'd say, right, I wish this would never end, and it won't. It will never end. We need to set our sights on the biblical reality of heaven, and that's what I'm going to try to do over the next few moments. I'm just going to go through a few points with you, okay? First of all, we're told this about heaven. It's a party. It's a feast. It's a banquet. It is a par- Repeatedly, the Bible says that heaven is a party, a feast, and a banquet. Do you like to have fun? Are you a party person? Are you a party animal? Are you a party animal is the question. Because if you're a party animal, if you like to party, then heaven is where you're going to want to be because Christ tells us that heaven is where the party happens. He said it's a wedding reception. It's a party. It's a feast. Do you like good food? How do you feel about good food? Like, I mean, do you really like good? Have you really, really ever? What is the best meal you have ever had? That will pale in comparison to every meal that you have in heaven because we're told in the scriptures, it is a feast. It is a banquet. You're going to eat food. Jesus, when he was resurrected, ate fish on the beach. He's trying to send us a message. You're going to eat in heaven. There's going to be great food in heaven, far better than what we are eating right now. I think of the greatest meal that I ever had in my life. Can you think about a meal? Like you had an awesome meal with awesome people, and you're like, oh, man, this is cool. I wish I could just do this every day forever and ever. We have friends of ours, and I told this story years ago, but for their anniversary, they took us to the Little Inn at Washington. This is like 20 years ago, right? Little Inn is like a five-star restaurant. It was incredible. It was the best meal. These are awesome people. For their anniversary, they paid for us. 
us to go to Lilith with them. This is really good. They should do it every year. Uh, <laughs> the best meal. I like my tongue came alive. I was just, it was so incredible. When we got to the end, they brought out this chocolate something. I don't know what it was. It was so, it was so good. I felt like just laying on the ground and crying because of it. <laughs> This is so, this is so incredible. It's just great food. For, for, our, for our anniversary, Chris and I anniversary, we did not take our friends to the Lilith Washington. We went, uh, because we're not that Christ-like, we went to, we went to Italy. We went to Italy for our anniversary. Oh my goodness. We went down to the Amalfi Coast. If you have ever seen pictures or you ever have the opportunity to go to Italy and go down the Amalfi Coast, where did they get the idea to do that? It is brilliant. It is, it is like a slice of heaven. We got down to the end. Now, here's, let me tell you something about myself. I do not like those uh, tomato mozzarella sandwiches. I mean, I would never eat a tomato mozzarella sandwich. So we got down to the end of the Amalfi Coast. I was starving. We hadn't had anything to eat. We walked into one shop. They had one sandwich left. What was it? Tomato and mozzarella. I'm like, oh my gosh, but I'm starving. I'm going to eat it. So I reluctantly, I buy it. It's the last one in the case. I've been in it. What is it about food in Italy? How come it's better? What, what, what's, the, what's going on? How come we can't get that food over here? That was the greatest sandwich I've ever eaten in my life. I'm going to go home. I went back in. You have another one? Because this was so good. Your tongue is going to celebrate in heaven. It's going to be jumping out of your mouth in heaven because the food is going to be so great. Don't mistake. Don't think, oh, I'm just some disembodied spirit. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus ate on the beach, and you're going to eat food the way God intended food to be eaten before everything went bad here on earth. It's going to be absolutely awesome food. Your tongue is going to celebrate. Second thing I want to tell you, this is you are going to learn in heaven. Some of us think that we're not going to be intellectually stimulated anymore. We're not going to grow intellectually. We're not going to learn. We're not going to discover learning. I love to learn. I remember when I was a kid in school, I was like, oh my gosh, do I have to read these books? And you know what I would love to do now? I would just love to study all day. I feel so alive with discovering. You know, we worship God with our brains. Love the Lord your God with your mind. We worship God. Our minds come alive by discovering new things. And you know what? You're going to learn in heaven. Some people don't think that. There was a Gallup study done and asked people, will you grow intellectually in heaven? Only 18% of people in the United States of America believe that we will grow intellectually in heaven. 82% of us feel that our intellectual stimulation, it's over. Now that's boring. Who wants to live that way the rest of I've even heard people say, I've heard pastors say, I've heard Christians say, when you get to heaven, you'll know everything. Maybe you've heard that. Anybody ever heard that before? You'll know everything. You know everything. Anybody heard that? All right, three, four, five, six. Whoa, look at those hands going. You'll know everything. You know what the problem is with that statement? Knowing everything is omniscience. And that's God. So the scripture never tells us that we become God. So we don't know everything. There's so much more to discover and to learn. Matter of fact, the scriptures talk about it. Ephesians chapter two, verse number seven says, in the ages to come, God is gonna show us it's going to show us so much more. And the word show in the Greek that's used in Ephesians 2, 7 means an ongoing process. It's going to be an ongoing process of learning and revelation and all kinds of things to discover. Some of you like to look through telescopes. Some of you are fascinated with space. The last time I checked, the last time I checked, everybody, is best we can tell, right? You look through a telescope, we can see out 13.8 billion light years. Now, that's as far as we can see. You pick a direction. And that's as far as we can see, 13.8 billion light years. But that's not the end of the universe. We can't seem to find the end. We don't know where it is. We just know it goes that far. Now, work with me for a second. 
Are you fascinated by space? I'm fascinated. It is so huge. You're going to spend all of eternity discovering space that we can't seem to find an end to. That is going to be absolutely magnificent. We will continue to learn and learn. Jonathan Edwards, great, great minister, great theologian, says that our knowledge will be progressive until all of eternity. All of eternity. This is what Martin Luther said, the great reformer. If God had all the answers in his right hand and the struggle to reach all the answers in his left hand, I would choose God's left hand, the one with the struggle. Because it's not only truth that we want, it's also the pleasure of learning truth. We come alive because God God wants us to worship him with our brains for us to grow intellectually, for us to, be stimul- for us to discover new things. So it's going to be an incredible party. It's going to be awesome food. It's going to be intellectual growth. And there's going to be ongoing, think about this. This is something we also we don't think about. There's going to be ongoing personal growth. Personal. We're going to develop personally. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we're being transformed into his image, speaking of Jesus, with ever-increasing glory. What does that mean? It means it's not going to stop. We're going to just, in an increasing way, become more like Christ. Like our personal growth is going to continue on forever and ever. Revelation 21.5 says, I am making all things new. That speaks of an ongoing process. You're going to keep changing and growing in every way possible. It's going to be absolutely wonderful. There are books in heaven. Books. Particularly in the book of Revelation, you read about this book of life. It's, that's all over the place. But there's all kinds of books we understand in heaven. They're reading. There's, there's accounting. There's records of things that go on. I would like to read to you a passage. Last book in the Hebrew Bible, Malachi chapter 3, verse number 16. This is what it says. Then those, this is really cool. Then those whose lives honored God got together and talked it over. God saw what they were doing and listened in. A book was opened in God's presence and minutes were taken of the meeting with the names of the God-fearers written down, all the names of those who honored God's name. A record is kept. They're talking about good things that are going on. They're talking about like, the good things that are happening in the world and God's, he's up in heaven. I guess he's got one of the angels, his accountant or something, and they're just like keeping minutes. This is keeping minutes, keeping notes, keeping records. You know what, everybody? You have done stuff in this world. Like, you've done Christ-like things in this world. Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, okay? Everybody, everybody can act in a Christ-like way. Some people think, you know, mistakenly. So what are you saying, John? Can only Christians, can only God-believers be good people? Absolutely not. We can all be good people and reflect the image of Christ. Of course we can. You know, one time somebody asked Mark Twain, they said, Mr. Twain, do you believe in infant baptism? He said, believe in it. I've seen it with my own eyes. (laughs) He's good. He's good. He's good. Seen it with my own eyes. I have seen with my own eyes people who are not followers of Christ act in a more Christ-like way than me. So, no, you, you don't have to. But here's the thing about heaven I want you to think about, everybody. You've done things and you've impacted people for Christ. Whether you believe in him or not, he believes in you. You've impacted people and you don't know anything about it. And I'm hoping one day that all of us are in heaven 
And people will walk up to us, people that we don't recognize, we don't know their name, and they say, you know what, I just need to tell you something. You did this kind act for me, and you didn't think it was much of anything. You don't even know who I am. You don't even know my name. But it affected my life. It changed the trajectory of my life, and here I am. Wouldn't that be cool to hear? There was a program on TV years ago, Extreme Home Makeover. Do some of you remember that? I used to love that show. I never, never watched the beginning because I'm not very much of a handyman. But then, but then my wife made me eventually watch it. And so I uh, started watching it. What amazing stories. Don't you love to hear about good things? Don't you love to hear about people that are helped and blessed? And Oh, man, you'll get to sit in heaven and hear story after story. And some of those stories involve you. Some of those stories involve what you have done. That's going to be phenomenal. And also, there's something else to think about. Sometimes you're going to be able to bump into somebody in heaven because we'll recognize people. They recognize Jesus. We'll bump into people and we'll say, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to tell you something. I need to tell you what you did for me. I need to tell you how you were on my, my, my mind and how you changed my life, how you impacted me. There's a guy, his name is, uh, his name is Albert. Albert is no longer with us. Albert passed away uh, a few years ago. And I had the great privilege of uh, doing the wedding uh, for Albert. He was married in California, Pasadena of all places, actually. This is about a decade ago. Albert was a phenomenal guy. Albert has no idea about this, but he affected my life. I still think about him to this day because he affected the way I treat people. He was so gracious, so kind. He has said such a servant's heart. And I think about him. I think about him from time to time the way I'm treating people. Am I treating people the way Albert was? Because he impacted me in such a... So it's his wedding weekend, right? Big weddings, big wedding. Their uh, wedding was at a Methodist church that was... I think it was... Is it Colorado Drive? Does anybody know Pasadena? Is that the parade route for the Rose Bowl? You can yell it out if anybody knows. Okay, thank you. Whoever said that over, thank you very much. It was right. It was this beautiful church. And it was a big weekend. It was a big wedding. It was awesome. He took the time. He picked me up at the airport. He, like, he carried my bag. I was like, Albert, man, you're, you're getting married this weekend. I mean, I can take a... They didn't have Uber back then. But uh, I can... Whatever. So, no, no. And he, we got to the hotel, and he carried my bags, and he was so kind and gracious. The day after his wedding, he knew I wanted to go to church because I wanted to go to church somewhere. It's what I do on Sunday. I go to church, right? So, he, I'll come and pick you up. Oh, my gosh. It's your... You know, you just married the day before. You don't have to do this. He was so overwhelmingly gracious. Just a huge impact. And so I think all the time, am I treating people that way? I never had an opportunity to tell him. I shared this at his funeral. But I never had the opportunity to tell him. I look forward to the opportunity to tell him. Don't you? Look forward to the opportunity to tell somebody about the impact. Albert was a jolly guy too. Guy loved to laugh. He, was, he used to live in New York City, and so he's good friends with a NYPD police officer. And the police officer was out there at the wedding, and he said, John, and I, I can't remember the police officer's name, you know, so-and-so officer, so-and-so, he's going to drive you to the, to the rehearsal dinner we're going to. And I got in a car, and you know how sometimes you think, like, all of a sudden, this must be a joke. <laughs> we take off going down the freeway in California. I'm telling you, we're going 100 miles an hour. If we were going two miles an hour, we were going 100 miles an hour. I said, excuse me, I'm just going to put on my seatbelt here real quick. We got to one place where the police officer didn't know which way to go, right or left, and there was like this meaty in the middle. You know, a lot of times there's no, there's no bump, it's just flat. But this had like a whole curb on it, boom, psh, and he just, boom, just right up on there. Like, my gosh. 
And this guy's not thinking a thing of it. So, so I finally get to, I finally get the rehearsal. So now fast forward to the wedding day. Albert wanted to make sure that I got back, that, you know, poor, you know, pastor didn't have the stamina to make it through the rehearsal because I'm not a big party guy. So he arranged for somebody else to drive me. It's 30 minutes away back to the hotel we're staying in. So he arranged for a man that was probably 95 years old. Uh, <laughs> to drive me. And this guy was driving like a 1970s Mercedes Benz, right? And we get in there and I'm telling you, if he was going hundred, he was going 120. Like, what is Albert doing to me? I mean, what is, have, I was scared to death. He picked me up. Albert picked me up the next morning. I'm telling Albert this story. And I'll, this is the one thing I'll never forget his face. He was sitting in the driver's seat and he was just bouncing up and down laughing. He thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I never had a chance to tell him how awesome that was. You have not had the chance to tell a lot of people the positive impact that they've made on your life, and you're going to get the opportunity. It's going to be like a big reunion, a big, wonderful reunion. My uh, father-in-law, Big Russ, some of you know Big Russ, because Big Russ, Big Russ in the first 10 years of this church was more popular than me, and he was the greeter, right? Uh, Big Russ, he passed away two years ago, and just a few weeks prior to that, my brother-in-law passed away, Frank, and the two of them just loved each other. You know the two of them, you know what they're doing right now? I mean, they're just having a great time in heaven because we know each other. We recognize each other. We will reminisce about all kinds of wonderful things. Listen, don't you think it'd be fantastic to discuss science with Isaac Newton in heaven? Wouldn't that be cool? How about philosophy with C.S. Lewis? Think about history and learning all the many things. You don't, you, you don't know everything. You're not omniscient. There is so much more to learn and to discover because heaven is magnificent and God wants us to understand it. That's why he wants us to set our sights on the realities of heaven. And if we aim at heaven, we'll get earth thrown in. If we aim at the earth, we'll get neither one. What exactly does that mean? What does it mean to aim at heaven? So in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What God is calling us to do is to participate in bringing a piece of heaven here down on earth, to live out Christ-like standards, to live in Christ-like ways. And when we do that, when we're aiming at heaven that way, when we're saying, I, I know the way things are running up there, and I would like a piece of that to run down here, we are aiming at heaven, and we're getting earth thrown in because earth has changed as a result of that. But if you just aim at the earth, If all you're looking is what's here, you're going to get neither one. And that's why C.S. Lewis tells us to aim at heaven and get earth thrown in. Revelation, the book of Revelation, I want to end with this. What a unique book. It begins in a very unique way. So there's a verse at the beginning, Revelation chapter 1, verse number 3. And it says this. It's the only, as far as I can remember, it's the only book in the entire Bible that says what I'm getting ready to tell you it says. It says, there is a blessing for everybody that reads this book. Now, I read that years ago, and I thought, oh my gosh, there's a blessing for everybody that reads this book of Revelation? Well, let's just put it on a loop in my house and just let it play all the time. That would be just awesome. But I was totally mistaken. That's not what it says. It does not say there's a blessing for the person that reads the book. You know that? You know what it says? It said it's, there's a blessing for the person who reads the book out loud. It's different. Because you would read a play out loud, like a script. In other words, you would act it out. So the principles that you see at place in the book of Revelation, Christ-like principles, if we begin to participate with God and we begin to act in Christ-like ways, there's where the blessing comes, not only for you, but for everybody else around you. Isn't that true? 
Because if our world was filled with, like, with people who were acting in Christ-like ways, it would be a big difference. So the blessing comes when we act in Christ-like ways. And then it goes on in that verse to say, for people who take it to heart or for people who obey it, for people who live it out. There is where the blessing comes in. We are bringing heaven to earth. Earth can sometimes be like hell. And we're bringing heaven down here on earth. Now, one of the things about the book of Revelation as we begin to study it over the next couple of weeks is this. A lot of misunderstandings about, about the book of Revelation. A lot of misunderstandings about heaven. Sometimes people set dates. Have you ever known a, like a famous, there was a minister over in Maryland years ago. He's on the radio and he set a date. God's coming back, blah, 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 blah. Here's the date. And you know, okay, all right. Well, the date came and went and then he went off the radio and that was it for him. His career was over because he set, he set a date. But the book of Revelation is famous for people setting dates. Here's the problem with interpreting the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is written to a people who are experienced the worst persecution and suffering that they had ever experienced by the Roman Empire in the late first century. And people who interpret the book of Revelation best are people who are being persecuted. So if you have a group of people studying the book of Revelation and they're they're suffering severe persecution, they tend to get the interpretation right. The the people over here where things are just comfy and things are great and they're like picking out dates and they've got maps all over the place and stuff like that, they tend to get it totally wrong. There was a group of um, people that uh, a media media personality, gathered in Aspen, Colorado. Aspen, Colorado, never been there, but I've seen pictures. Beautiful. Media personality got a group of people there for a conference to determine this. Does evil exist in Aspen, Colorado? Does evil exist? They're talking about this in the world. Is there such a thing as evil? And they determined there's no such thing as evil. Now, let me, let me just help you out a little bit. Aspen, Colorado might not be the place to have a discussion. Does evil exist? Right? Maybe you could go to Syria or you could go to Nazi Germany or you could go to some of the other these terrible places you know, where terrible things have taken. Maybe that'd be a better place to have that discussion. Same thing with interpreting the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is written to a group of people who are suffering terribly. And in the beginning of the book of Revelation, it talks about this over and over 11 times. It says the word overcome. As we participate with Christ and we act in Christ-like ways, as we discern Christ and study Christ and study his heaven and how that operates, we participate in bringing heaven down here to earth. So 11 times, it says eventually his kingdom is going to overcome. 11 times. Basically all those times in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation is the word overcome. We are overcomers. By participating in that is a constant, constant theme. Now, I want to end this way. I'm going to tell you about two dreams and two prophets. Two prophets who gave two different dreams. 2018 opening ceremony at the Olympics in South Korea. Some of you watched it. Some of you watched the opening ceremony. And you saw there that John Lennon's famous song was sung, right? What song was that? Anybody remember seeing it? Imagine. It was, it was very moving. It's such a famous song, such a well-known song. If I could sing, I'd sing it to you right now, but I can't, I can't sing. I want, to give you, I want to give you the words. He starts off by saying, imagine there's what? No heaven. It's easy if you try. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no countries. There's no possessions. There's nothing to kill or die for, and there's no religion too. He had a dream. He had a dream about peace and harmony here on earth without God, without heaven, without all of these things. That was his dream. Now, what's interesting is in that stadium was the sister of the supreme leader of North Korea, 
a country that is trying out no religion at all. There's one dream. Void of heaven altogether. Void of heaven. He goes on to say, we're just living for, who knows how it ends? We're living for today. That's all there is, is today. I want to tell you about another prophet who had a different dream. Eight years earlier, eight years before, John Lennon released his famous song, which we all know the words to. There was another prophet, and this is what he said. He had a dream of peace and harmony, just like John Lennon, but radically different about how we're going to get to the peace and harmony. Here's what he said. See if you recognize his words. One day in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. And then quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Two different dreams going to the same place and it's up to us to figure out which dream do we want to follow? Which one do we want to inspire us? Dr. King's dream was fueled by heaven, was inspired by heaven was saturated by heaven, and the other was void of heaven. Which dream actually works? If you'll think about it, which dream actually has teeth to it that actually take us somewhere, that does bring peace and harmony, that has a track record for actually working? The anthem of the civil rights movement came straight out of the book of Revelation. Let's see if you can finish the word. They sang, we shall overcome over and over the book of revelation saturated with heaven two different dreams which one will we follow which one will work i want to encourage you at the beginning of this series as we start this series on heaven and we we just pour ourselves into what the reality of heaven really is would you consider becoming a follower of jesus christ Some of us in this room, we've never taken that step to become a follower of Christ. I just ask you to consider becoming a follower of Christ, following his ways, because Jesus says this. Here's really important. He says, if we will follow him, we will find out how life works better and how the world works better. So if you tried it out, if you followed Jesus, you can take Jesus at his word. Does it really work? Don't give me theories. Give me something that really works. Jesus says, if you follow me and you follow my ways, you'll find that your life works better and the world works better. And so I want to encourage you. We pray at the end. Consider becoming a follower of Christ. If you want somebody to pray with you, our prayer wall is right over there. Now, I'm going to tell you what next week is about. Everybody, everybody basically believes in heaven and we all think we're going there, okay? Almost everybody believes in heaven. We all think we're going there. And we all, for the most part, are believing that there's life after death. Almost every culture, every society has believed in life after death. The Egyptians used to put maps inside of their tombs, right? Just so they could find where their riches are and stuff like that in the afterlife. So we all believe in that. But I'm going to tell you, if all you're hoping for in heaven is life after death, you're thinking way too small. Because life after death is really, really boring. There's something far, far better than life after death. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Because life after death by itself is just not very good. There's something that you and I want so much more than life after death, and we're going to talk about that next week. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that you share with us this magnificent, awesome reality of heaven. Help us to pour ourselves into 
this future place that you have prepared for us, that our here and now would be changed, filled with hope, filled with meaning, and filled with a far greater understanding of you. Bless every single person and all of our family and friends in this world. In Christ's name, amen.